Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be able to come together and worship You with singing songs elevating the name of Jesus, but also we turn our worship to your word, the proclamation of your truth. I pray that we allow this truth to penetrate our hearts, to guide us. We pray this in the name of Jesus who makes this possible. Amen. I just want to read this definition to you really quick, just to make sure that I get it right and you hear it right. So just allow me to read this. The phrase is a military campaign, and here's the definition. A military campaign is a large-scale, long-duration, significant military strategic plan incorporating a series of interrelated military operations or battles forming a distinct part of a larger conflict, often called a war. Now you know why I wanted to read that, to get it straight. Now, what I want to do really quick for some of you history buffs out there, I'm just going to throw the name of a few battles out there, and you tell me what war they come from, okay? Can we do that really quick? For you history buffs, I'm going to name these battles. You tell me what war these battles were associated with, all right? I'm going to give you three battles really quick. What war was it? Battle of Monmouth, the Battle of Ticonderoga, and the Battle of Yorktown. Does anybody know what war that was from? Yeah, phone a friend. Who wants to be a millionaire here? Does anybody know what battle that's from? The Revolutionary War, you're right. All right, I got three more for you. We're not going to stop right there. How about the Battle of Dunkirk, the Battle of Midway, and Stalingrad? World War II. You guys are good. All right, you guys are so good, we're going to keep going here. How about the Battle of Chancellorsville, Fredericksburg, and Chattanooga? Civil War. All right, since you guys are so good, I'm going to give you one more more modern day. I'll give you a hint on this one. The Battle of Quezon, Hamburger Hill, and the Tet Offensive. Almost. Vietnam War. Around the same era, though. Around the same era. Individually, not one of these battles won the war. We, we know that's true. It wasn't because one of these battles was won or lost that the war was actually won or lost. However... Collectively, when you take all the battles of the Revolutionary War or all the battles of the Civil War, all the battles of World War II or all the battles of Vietnam, the winner was declared. Brothers and sisters, we are fighting a battle each and every day in our lives. And we're fighting a battle that's part of a larger military campaign. See, everyday battles that are part of a war that we're fighting, these are battles that are spiritual in nature. This is a war waged for the souls of men. That's what we're fighting every single day of our lives. I'm going to repeat that one more time, and you can hang on to that for the rest of this morning. These are battles being waged for the souls of men. A war waged in our mind from our hearts, a war to separate truth from error. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning, Spiritual Warfare, Spiritual 
warfare. And as we continue in the book of 1 Timothy, we are ending the first chapter this morning. We're looking at verses 18, 19, and 20 specifically. But before we continue, we must remember what it is that we did last week, what we learned last week from verses 12 through 17. See, we were encouraged to know that no one is beyond the scope of God's grace. Isn't that encouraging for a believer? No one is beyond the scope of God's grace. And really, that's not just encouraging for a believer, that's encouraging for a non-believer. But it's not just God's grace as in most people think, it's God's saving grace that they are never beyond the scope of. And this is because the grace of God saves the worst of the worst from their worst. It's exactly what God's grace does. Today we're going to examine the origin of spiritual warfare and consequence of being defeated in that war amongst many of the battles that are fought. So also, we can also recognize the battles in our everyday lives and reap the victor's spoil, because that's really the ultimate goal. It's for us to reap the victor's spoils within spiritual warfare. So without any more being said about this, let's go ahead and get into the text. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18, 19, and 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blasphemy. Amen. When we look at these three verses, we can put them into this one sentence that comprises our main idea, and that sentence states this. The Christian is a soldier of spiritual warfare against the opponents of salvation. It's that simple. The Christian is a soldier of spiritual warfare against the opponents of salvation. Our military metaphor from the Apostle Paul this morning begins with this. What does he say? This charge. Right there in verse 18. This charge. See, this charge is from Paul the superior to Timothy the subordinate. But see, it goes beyond that because militaries are only as effective as their chain of command is reliable. Fortunately for us as believers, we understand that this chain of command is rather reliable now, isn't it? Because it's not just from Paul to Timothy, Paul the superior to Timothy the subordinate. It's from the Lord to Paul, then on down the line to Timothy. Brothers and sisters, Timothy is enlisted in the Lord's army. The apostle Paul is enlisted in the Lord's army army. We, all believers, those who have a saving faith in Christ, are enlisted as soldiers in the Lord's army. What does he say? I entrust to you. Well, this tells us that it's a command, and if we know something about the military, there's no options when the military gives you a command. 
Military commands are not optional, but he says, I entrust to you. Timothy held, is being held here to be accountable. And what he's being accountable to is to combat the sound, unsound doctrine that we just learned in the first two parts of the first chapter of 1 Timothy. He is being entrusted. He is being held accountable to make sure that he preaches sound doctrine. Paul's command of Timothy has a historical track record now, doesn't it? And we see this in our text when it says, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. This is nothing new. The Lord knew precisely what He was doing when He put Timothy in charge of the post that He put him in charge of. He knew exactly why Paul was saying this. See, Timothy knows he's been ordained by God. He's not fooled by this. He's aware that he's enlisted in the Lord's army. He knows that he has to obey the chain of command. He knows that there's no option for him to, you know, go against orders. Because what happens in the military if you do? You're dishonorably discharged. But do you recognize what Paul is doing? He's doing precisely that. He's reminding Timothy that there are no volunteers. Brothers and sisters, we are not volunteers either. Last week, I believe we said that the kingdom isn't something that we find. The kingdom finds us. God, since He has found us, He is now commanding us to serve, and that is very important for us to understand in these three verses. We are all being asked to serve. We've been entrusted to serve, just like Timothy's been entrusted to make sure that he preaches sound doctrine. And if we're being entrusted to serve, therefore we'll all be held accountable to do what? Obey. I can only speak for myself. I don't want to speak for you, but allow me to share a little bit about my testimony of the reason why I'm here, right here, right now. The reason why I'm still here, right here, right now. And as I share this, you can apply it to what you know about yourself and what the Lord has done in your life. But it's not a mistake. There's no such thing as a coincidence in life. We don't knock on wood. We don't believe in luck as believers. So it's not a coincidence that I ended up here in front of you this morning. Many things had to happen in my life. See, really what I'm getting at before I really tell you what I'm about ready to tell you is this. Sometimes you just have to make yourself available to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. Now, I didn't know that Dating Hope at the age of 14 would lead to me meeting her family and her father who has the exact same degree from the exact same seminary that I hold. You don't think that there are seeds planted along the way going over to their household over the years? I remember taking expository preaching and teaching in seminary, having never taught an evangelical, or not evangelical, evangelistic sermon in my life, and that was one of my assignments and going to my father-in-law and asking him to help me outline the sermon. Where did he lead me? I'll never forget. It led me to John 3 when Nicodemus visited Jesus. 
It's not a mistake or a coincidence that that same degree and same seminary produced Pastor Steve, who is still here with us at Villa's Grace Church. I was first introduced to his family when I was in fifth or sixth grade, his cousin's children. Then only to meet Pastor Steve's son when I was doing my undergrad at Grace College back in the early 2000s. Pastor Steve's son is the reason why we ended up here at this church. Because I'll be honest with you, and I'll share this, this, this church went through a split, in my opinion, in the late 90s. This was the good end of the split. We ended up here in Fort Myers on the bad end of the split just to come back over here on the good end. It's not a coincidence. Coming to Fort Myers, working in a barber shop, for some reason the Lord directed me in that. But before that, He sent me to school to learn how to cut hair. There's naysayers in my life said, you don't need to go do that. Why would you go learn how to cut hair? You should be doing this with your life. Only to have to move down here and find a bivocational job to work in a barber shop in South Fort Myers near Astero to meet Pastor Jared who now preaches here. You think that's a coincidence? Just making yourself available. Just making yourself available. Making yourself available to be obedient. That's what we're being called to do. Now, I'm not saying everybody's going to be a preacher standing in front of people preaching, but we're going to get to that. Everybody here is a preacher. It just doesn't manifest itself the same for everybody. But there's no coincidences in life. And the Holy Spirit is going to work through us if we allow Him to. And that's exactly what the Lord's going to do because the only way that this battle's going to be won with us involved, because the battle's going to be won. It's already been won. But the only reason why we can reap the victor's spoil, like we said earlier, if we show up and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. Nothing in life is a coincidence. Church, our service in the Lord's army is the same as Timothy's. Timothy didn't ask to be, you know, born into a family where his dad wasn't around, being raised by his mother and grandmother. But the Lord provided Paul, a spiritual father figure in his life, because Timothy made himself available. Timothy made himself so available that at a young age, he was taking over the leadership. And Paul was encouraging him to keep preaching sound doctrine. And one of the ways in which we try to do that here at Villa's Grace Church is to preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And that's the reason why we see Paul telling Timothy that by them you may wage the good warfare. So what's the good warfare, church? The good warfare is spiritual warfare. That's the good warfare. The opposite of spiritual warfare is what we see going on in Ukraine right now. That's not the good warfare. No matter what side you get behind in that fight, you're on the losing side. So put your politics aside. And for real, put the politics aside. Until you know what you need to know about Ukraine and Russia and every NATO country that's involved, you really don't know what's going on. And it doesn't matter. What matters is right here, which is, again, why we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. The good warfare is the only warfare that matters. The good warfare is spiritual in nature. And what I want to do really quick is just read some verses from elsewhere in the Bible to let the Bible explain to us 
what I just said. So just listen as I read. None of this will be on the screen for you. Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Church, this is our daily battle. However, every battle is part of a larger military campaign. And we can't forget that. For as mundane as our daily lives may seem, the spiritual warfare that we're up against now is part of that larger military campaign. The military campaign against spiritual warfare began in heaven. It didn't begin here. It began in heaven with Satan. He is known as Lucifer. Lucifer is also known as the little star. Or the, actually, excuse me, the morning star, a.k.a. the light bringer. That's what he was known as prior to his rebellion. He has a heavenly position. See, remember... The source of all pride is Lucifer. The source of all pride is Lucifer. He was known as the morning star, the light bringer. Lucifer's heavenly position is observed through the king of Tyre. I want to read this account from Ezekiel 28:2. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because of your heart being proud, and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. Ezekiel twenty-eight seventeen. your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground, I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Lucifer rebelled against God. He was corrupted by his splendor, his beauty, therefore making him a beautiful liar. And that's something we always forget. We think that the devil has horns and a pitchfork and a tail. No. Satan was corrupted due to his beauty. Jesus says when he speaks he speaks his native language, which is lies. Therefore, Satan is the most beautiful liar that we could ever encounter. His lies are sweet. They are enticing. They will mesmerize you. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. I just want to observe his rebellion here. But there's five I wills that we need to focus on. And all these I wills come from Satan. How you are a fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the shield, to the far reaches of the pit. 
See, verse 15 there, where he's going to be brought down to Sheol in the far reaches of the pit, what, what that's describing is in the tribulation, when Satan will be expelled from heaven definitely. Revelation 12, 7, 8, 9 says this, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. What does it say again? Satan, the deceiver, the liar, but the deceiver of the whole world. Brothers and sisters, it's the deceiver of the whole world. He's the one who has the whole world believing that the fight isn't against the spiritual realm. He's the one who has the whole world believing that our fight is against flesh and blood. You don't believe me. I mean, if you don't believe me, as an example, allow me to ask just, just two questions. I mean, it's simple. What month is it? June? What's June in our culture now? What month do they call June? Pride month. According to the world, it's not a promise that the Lord made that covenant with Noah when we see a rainbow. He's the deceiver of the whole world. We can see it right before our eyes. But see, what we need to remember is we're not at war with those who are proud of their immorality. That's not who we're at war with. We're at war against the realm dispensing the lie of pride. That's who we're at war with. Secondly, I'll ask another question. We're, we've been told we have a race issue. Now, I find that kind of hard to believe, especially here at Villa's Grace. If you look at our campus right now, there are multiple countries represented. There are multiple races represented between our Hispanic ministry and even in this room right here right now. We are well represented. But we're being told that we have a race issue, so we'll go along with it, right? Who's going to solve racism? That's my next question. Who's going to solve our race problem? Because the world's telling us that we have one. Who will solve this race problem for us? Well, it's easy. As believers, we know that this problem only gets solved through Jesus. And we know that's true because he is the origins and the solution to race. Now, I heard this from Todd Friel. This is not my own. But I think I agree with it. In the genetic code, God programmed the code in such a way that race would happen. Because really, we're part of one race. Not that many came off that ark, did they? We can all be traced back to the ark. But see, God specifically programmed 
our genetic code to have multiple races on purpose, not to create disunity, not to create racism. No, he did it to show us that unity is only achieved through Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we're not at war with racism. We're at war with the realm dispensing the lie that racism can be solved by mankind. That's the real problem. The problem is that man says, no, I got the answer. I have the solution. When racism was created by the same mankind that says that it can solve the problem. Problems are created. It's the same thing that we see with politicians. They create problems on purpose to give you the solution later so you'll vote for them. Well, that was never a problem to begin with now, was it? We're at war against Lucifer and one-third of all the corrupted angelic beings that were cast out of heaven alongside him. Now, if we want to apply this to our lives, and we see here in, in really our last verse, I'll read it one more time. This is our last verse in chapter 1. It says, Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. But why is that? Because what does it say at the end of verse 19? Some have made shipwreck of their faith. So Hymenaeus and Alexander are our example of making shipwreck of your faith. Now, there are two types of people where the Lord will allow to make shipwrecks of their faith. Take Job, for example. What did Job do? Did Job ever lose his faith in the Lord? But what did Satan say? Because remember, at the beginning of Job, Satan just walks right into heaven, walks past all the other angelic beings, letting us know that he actually outranks all of them except the Trinity. And he tells God, well, you know, Job only has faith in you. Job only loves you because of everything that you've given him. If he didn't have a beautiful wife and family and all the land and all the riches that he has, he wouldn't love you. He only loves you because of that. And what did the Lord allow to happen? He allowed Job to be tested, didn't he? And Job's faith prevailed because Job's faith let him know that his battle wasn't with flesh and blood. It wasn't with the things that he had that could be taken from him. It was the spiritual warfare. It wasn't losing his family. So the question at this point, do you want to wage the good warfare or make shipwreck of your faith? Because when we ask that question, the opposite of Job would be Judas. And what happened to Judas? See, go back to what I said. The Lord allowed for these things to happen. What happened after Judas had finished in the Last Supper? Satan went into Judas, didn't he? The Lord allowed for that to happen. So here's Job. The Lord allowed Satan to attack spiritually, his faith prevailed. He may have lost everything here on earth, but he had eternity to gain. Here's Judas selling the Lord out really for nothing. In today's money, you wouldn't want the much, as much silver as what Judas got. And what did, what did he end up with? Suicide. There's two types of shipwrecks of your faith. 
There's the type of shipwreck like Job that brings the Lord honor and glory. And then there's the type of shipwreck that ruins you, that condemns you. And we have a choice. Do you want to be more like Job? Or do you want to be like Judas? There's really three things that we can do then in our everyday life. The first would be for us to know our enemy. That's extremely important. We even say things, even non-believers say, hey, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. We need to know our enemy. But not just know who he is, we need to know what his objective is. What is the end goal? What is Lucifer's end goal? The adversary, the prince of the power of the air. What is his end goal? Church, we have to know that his end goal is to prevent salvations from happening. Our job as the church is to share the gospel so salvations do happen. So the opposition that we're up against isn't flesh and blood. It's the spiritual realm trying to prevent us from doing as much. The the second thing that we need to do in our daily lives is this, when it pertains to spiritual warfare. And I want to go back to what I said earlier. We're all preachers. May not manifest the same as everybody else, but we all need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves each and every day. It's a reminder that Mike shared this morning. Our need for the Lord. We should know that we need the Lord more tomorrow than what we did today. And each and every day of our lives, we should be walking with the Lord in such a manner that we realize how much we need Him. We don't arrive. We don't somehow get to stop and pause and look back at everything we've accomplished. We're never going to be there. We will spend the rest of eternity learning the grace of God. We will spend the rest of eternity learning the gospel. And we need to be preaching that to ourselves today, especially in the midst of the spiritual warfare. We need to be preaching by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The third thing we can do is pray. We need to pray for His will in our life, His provision in our life, His protection in our life. We need to be praying for His forgiveness in our life. And we need to be praying for salvation. Not salvation for us if we're already saved. We don't pray a prayer to get saved. That's not what I'm saying. We need to be praying for the Lord to use us to see others get saved. We need to be praying then that we learn how to make ourselves available so the Holy Spirit can start working through us. Now, some of us are doing a pretty good job of that. Some of us are sitting here this morning still questioning whether or not we're actually saved. Some of us need a little bit of a refresher and a reminder that, yeah, maybe I haven't been doing that. Regardless of where you're at, we need to be praying for salvations. So do you want to know who didn't know their enemy as Joe comes up? You should know. Our example, our biblical example is simple. It was Judas. He didn't know 
his enemy. Church, Judas has the exact same enemy that you have. We should be more like Job, not Judas. So are you behaving more like Job, or are you behaving more like Judas? I want to read this quote really quick. I usually don't like having to do this, but I'm going to have to. This is from General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. I don't recommend the Salvation Army today. One, I don't like the fact that they don't practice baptism and they've taken some liberal political views that we would definitely disagree with according to the gospel of Christ. But I think what he said here, and I'm not associating what's going on today with him, but this is quite profound. He said, this to young men under his leadership, and this is exactly what he said. He said, young men, take heed to the fire in your own hearts, for it has a tendency to go out. Reflecting on these words, one of them said later, yes, fire will go out unless the drafts are open and the ashes are shaken out and more fuel is put on the fire. Brothers and sisters, open the drafts, shake out the ashes, and pour more fuel on the fire that is burning in your heart. Make yourself available for the Holy Spirit to work through you. Or really, should I say, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Know your enemy. Shake out the ashes. Pray for His will. Pray for His provision, His protection, His forgiveness, and His salvation. Or we could say, pour more fuel on the fire by preaching the gospel to yourself each and every day. Again, and after all, what did we say earlier when we summed up these three verses? The Christian is a soldier of spiritual warfare against the opponents of salvation. When you lose your keys, or you get a flat tire, or you run out of gas, that's not spiritual warfare. That has nothing to do with salvation. You may have lost your keys to come in contact with somebody. You may have gotten a flat to come in contact with somebody. You may have ran out of gas in order to come in contact with somebody so you can share Jesus. That's spiritual warfare. When we start looking at life just like that, like Job would have. He wasn't at war against flesh and blood. He was at war against the principalities, the spiritual realm. He was at war with the deceiver of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word as it penetrates, as it edifies, as it encourages us towards you. Lord, I just pray over and over that we can continue to learn how to be a church that works together as a team to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so others can come to a saving faith in you. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.